Hello, this is Wade Lightheart, and today we'll be mapping enzymes on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it causes us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Wade Lightheart. Wade is a three-time Canadian national all-natural bodybuilding champion who competed as a veteran, former Mr. Universe competitor, host of the Awesome Health Podcast, and co-founder and president of BioOptimizers. I think you're going to love this conversation, which gives us a deep dive into enzymes. Hey, Wade, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hey, thanks for having me. So enzymes, what is your best definition of what an enzyme is and what it does in the body? How do you talk to people about enzymes? Sure. Enzymes are the catalyst for literally over 25,000 different processes in your body. Everything from thinking to blinking requires an enzymatic activity. They basically turn one thing into something else or speed up chemical reactions inside the body. And the theory put forth by Dr. Edward Howe many years ago was that the body has a limited supply of enzymes and the manufacturing of them through you know, various metabolic processes through your liver actually have a huge cost, which may lead to an erosion of energy, performance, and the decay or dysfunction of a variety of different organs in the body. Oh, that's such a good explanation. If we think about that kind of bank account of enzymes, are certain people born with less enzymatic activity from the get-go? Is there an antecedent factor for our enzyme account? Well, if you look at Dr. Howell's work back in the 40s, uh, when he talked about the enzyme bank account theory in his book, Food Enzymes for Health and Longevity, he did experiments on virtually every different kinds of species, like from rabbits and dogs and cats. And he fed one group extra enzymes, one group, the natural food associated with that, that, you know, that diet of that animal, and then one group of food that was devoid of any enzymes. And what he found is by the third generation of the enzymatically deficient group, the ones that didn't have any enzymes, they developed three interesting characteristics. One was an increase in genetic-based diseases. Two was strange social behavior not native to that species. And three was the inability to procreate. He extrapolated from that information with mass food production, pasteurization, the changing in the farming of the world, and the advent of pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides that you know were ushered in 
after the 1940s, after the World War II, is that he suspected that the humans would go through the same thing in approximately three generations. And if you look at the data about genetic mutation, inability to procreate, and a variety of all these different kinds of new-based diseases, like you know, energy-based diseases like fibromyalgia and stuff, it would seem that his theory holds weight. Yeah, it's kind of curious because when we go into the realm of nutrition, we can look at the standard American diet as a factor that's leading to enzymatic deficiency. But some of what we might think of as the newfangled healing diets may be enzymatically depleted as well if they're not ripe in which foods. Which foods would we be thinking about if we wanted to eat a more enzyme-rich diet? Well, anything that you actually grow from, organic heirloom seed right. in a local environment that is not subjected to the food industrial complex, anything that you get from a store is probably been irradiated, may have been subjected to a variety of different chemicals. I mean, the USDA allows 50 different chemicals that and keep understanding, like something like a pesticide or a fungicide, how it kills the pests is by disrupting its enzymatic activity that results in the death of that organism. So it makes you kind of wonder, well, how much of this do I need to consume before it destroys me? So I think it was really an inappropriate or not well thought out definition of the requirements of what food is. We kind of got caught in this little macro idea Maybe that was based to technology or well-meaning people, but I think in the end of the day, humans interrupt their food supply more than any other species through pasteurization, cooking, and mass food production. So that's where I think we run into problems. Yeah, yeah. And and there are diets where people aren't eating these enzyme-rich foods that maybe don't include more of these foods like you're talking about that we grow, that are live foods, that are foods that haven't been heated or adulterated. And we just seem to be moving further, further away from that. Even when we talk, like I said, about healing diets. Can we get a little bit more into the center part of the matrix? You talked about thinking, blinking. I know you talk a lot about recovery and building of muscles, but when we think about enzymes, we're also talking about digestion and immunity. Isn't that correct? Yes. So first and foremost, I think any health advocate will understand that any undigested food now becomes a potential toxin. In particular, in humans in the modern realm, we have a great deal of undigested proteins which are getting through the intestinal wall and into the body. And what happens is the immune system sees this as a foreign invader and has an immune system response. And, you know, whether it's leaky gut syndrome or, you know, inflammatory-based diseases, skin condition, you name it, all of these different things, you know, viral infections, which are, you know, protein code, like a virus has a protein kind of coating that kind of disguises itself from an immune system response. And so your body has to develop the antibody so they can recognize attack and eliminate that. Same thing with uh, pathogenic bacteria that may leak into the system through feces and leak, leaky gut. So if you go through digestion, there's five main stages. The taste, touch, smell, the food repairs the body. If I say dill pickles and sauerkraut, your mouth starts to water because you're, there's a Pavlovian response. Your body's mm -hmm. actually starting to produce the energetic enzymatic capability in order to break that down. Second phase, you know, the food goes down to the, in the upper cardiac portion of the stomach and it's got about 30 to 60 minutes. Now that's where the enzymes present in the food are supposed to break it down. But of course, if you've cooked your food or heated your food or you got, you know, 
franken food, as I like to call it, uh, you don't have those enzymes present. And then your body's like, oh, I got to start manufacturing more enzymes. Mm. And you're borrowing from Paul to pay Peter. So it's like paying your mortgage off of your credit card. It works for a while. Now, the next stage that happens is hydro when hydrochloric acid comes in, that's going to change the pH of your food chime. Some enzymes are going to be activated and some are going to be deactivated, particularly in the proteolytic enzymes, which is where we get a lot of digestive issues. If you look at the enzymatic uh, kind of range or spectrum, you have like protease 6.0, protease 4.5, and protease 3.0, which has a band to a sigma each side of where it will digest or break down different amino acids at that point. In my opinion, it, those two areas are where people run into the most problems. They either they don't produce enough hydrochloric acid or they don't have sufficient amount of enzymes, particularly on the proteolytic side at, the first, at that first stage. And then finally, the food leaves the intestinal tract, minerals are added to it, it buffers it, it goes into the intestines. And from there, that's where, you know, the good, bad, and the ugly work, you know, your microbiome and its efficiency to break down the food. And that has both a genetic component. Uh, if you look into genetics and epigenetics, in other words, if you're from a Northern climate, you probably will do, you know, like I am like Irish Scottish background, you can, you can get a, a German, you can get well, do well on potatoes where someone from maybe Asia might not it just the way their body is able to produce enzymes or Native Americans, for example, have a harder time breaking down alcohol than, say, people with a Northern European descent because they've been exposed to it for a longer period of time. This is all related to enzymes and epigenetics and your ability to produce stuff and then the amount of probiotics and prebiotics you have available. So to kind of go through the whole thing, it's three areas. It's enzymes, hydrochloric acid, and probiotics. Most people, though, are becoming aware of the probiotic situation. People who have hydrochloric acid issues and they go see a professional, they can oftentimes, you know, change heartburn or acid reflux by adding HCL. It's not a deficiency. But the enzyme issue is something that you are going to have, have to add exogenous enzymes in order to fully break down your food. So I want to talk about that. But what I really love that you're talking about right now, Wade, is I always say we're not what we eat, but what our body can do with what we eat. And enzymes are, of course, an important part of that because they're breaking these protein chains down into the shorter fragments that the body can actually use those amino acids. Right. And the proteolytic enzymes that you're talking about primarily include the pepsin, the trypsin, and the chymotrypsin. Do I have that right in terms of that just baseline biochemistry? Well, there, those, those, are, those are some of the enzymes that are available. There's actually different types of proteases you can expand on. So we have five different types, for example, in the products we produce. And then you can get into specifics. So if you look at, say, gluten, Gluten is an interesting protein coating on it that call that requires an enzyme called dipeptidyl peptidase 4. <laughs> so DPP4 for short. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. And, you know, people about, I don't know, 60, 70% of the population aren't able to produce that enzyme. And so you can get really specific. There's, like I said, there's a vast array of enzymes that are going to deal with different things. And I think there's standardized kind of what I would say old school thinking. But with the expansion of the complexity of our diets now, we and and the variance within, um, I would say, people's ability to digest their food is is somewhat compromised from all these different agents. You know, the unintended consequences of technological innovation. 
then yes. then you got to kind of go even deeper than that when you're getting into specifics for different people. Yeah, it's really interesting to think about where we rely on food and where we need to go beyond food to support a particular body or a person's body or a particular body system. If we're to focus on food alone, are there favorite food sources that you rely on for getting enzymes naturally, not supplementally, even though the supplement can be natural as well, but things like papaya or pineapple or ginger do you have favorites that you use in your routine? Yeah, well, I'm I'm a, an old school. I, I I'm very high on prebiotic foods that are going to support the growth of my bacteria. Number one, and then so fermented foods. And when you're choosing fermented foods, I do believe choosing fermented foods because it's actually controlled rotting and what happens, and that's really digestion. Probiotics also manufacture enzymes and in order to metabolize various aspects of food. So things, if you're from a northern client and have a more northern diet, things like sauerkraut are going to do well. If you're more of an Asian descent, you know, things like kimchi might be better for you. So you need to choose relative to your dietary choices because what's happening now, I think through, you know, my experience in the last 20 plus years with enzymes is that we're seeing severe variances in metabolic capacity to break down different foods. So for example, my business partner is a ketogenic guy and I'm a plant-based guy, right? I love that. I love that you have that because that's really where I was getting at. Like, where are we going with some of the diets that are becoming popular? Well, the one thing, if you want to live long and strong, it would indicate that eating less is better. Second, eating a high nutrient dense food. So that's generally going to be organically grown. And I think you need to really get into testing and, you know, find out what, you know, with genetics and epigenetics with a good practitioner, because I can give generalizations and that's a real hit and miss for the listener. They really need to get it. Like the world has gotten so complex around food and individual variants and whatever challenges you might have. You got to go get a professional in your life and say, Hey, I need to get some testing. I need to look at you know, what is my hydrochloric production? What is my genetics and epigenetics say? Which things am I having problems with? What nutrients am I not getting in my diet? So for me, I'm a plant-based guy, very different than say someone who's on, like my business partner's on a ketogenic diet. So I have to make sure that I count that I'm getting enough B12, that I'm getting enough magnesium in my diet and, you know, certain probiotics that I don't have exemplary. And I do use supplemental enzymes in order to help break down the plant fiber because my fiber levels are through the roof. He's got struggles with fiber, right? So completely different. Yeah. And those things, like you said, epigenetically will influence different factors in the body. So supplementally, I know you're talking about looking at the needs of an individual. If we don't have that opportunity, in what situation are you recommending that we consider supplemental enzymes? I get this a lot in full body systems in my training. When do we bring in enzymes? At what point do we need to bring in enzymes? What are your cues for that introduction? Yeah. Usually you go with, uh, if your food sits in your stomach like a stone, if you're (laughs) having um, acid reflux and heartburn, or if you're having a lot of bloating and gas, um, and then you can get into specifics, for example, in proteolytic enzymes, we've seen a lot of people who suffer from depression and, and, you know, I would say inability to regulate neurotransmitters, oftentimes they're not breaking down their protein properly. Right. Yeah. They can't make the amino acids. So that's a good, I've seen amazing results by using the combination of 
enzymes and, and various uh, probiotics that manufacture neurotransmitters to help people who are suffering from low moods and things like that. So again, I think you got to kind of get it, it's, I, I don't want to overgeneralize with your audience because I know it's a sophisticated audience. Right. So I think if they're listening to this, get with your professional and start, you know, diving into, hey, let's look at these. But for the most part, I have yet to see, I, I would say about 95% of the population benefits from supplementing with digestive enzymes because that is naturally inherent in the food of every species except humans who cook and irradiate and pasteurize. Yeah, yeah, such an important point. And probably 95% of humans have digestive issues as one of the roots of everything else happening. So right there, you made those great connections. I would add to your list undigested food in the stool, which is fairly common, yes. tells us that, right, there's likely not enough enzymes. I know you have so much to share about enzymes. We'll link to lots of information about you and about your supplements in the show notes. Is there anything else you wish coaches and clinicians knew about enzymes that you see being just thought about incorrectly? I do. And there's a concept out there that supplementing your enzymes isn't required because your body manufactures it. And what I would say is that you do not make materials out of nothing. The metabolic cost of having to produce enzymes, I say, I say results in the turkey dinner syndrome. And we all know that on turkey dinner day, Everybody eats a massive amount of food. Now you have all this calories and all this wonderful stuff, but everybody is lying on the couch, passing out and on the floor and in the rocker drooling and down their face. You know how it is. Right. And it's like, well, why is that? And that's because there is, that is what I call physical evidence that if you consume food without the ability to metabolize it, your body is going to move enzymatic production capability from any other part of the body to go and break down that food. And I think over time that leads to degeneration, aging, and maybe even premature death. Mm, such a good point. And it does lead me to one more question before I let you go, Wade. This is a question we get a lot. If you take enzymes supplementally, is that going to interfere with your body's natural ability to produce enzymes? How would you address that? <laughs> yeah, great question. And I just ran an experiment. I just went off for the first time in, oh, geez, for 20 years. I, I went off enzymes for a period of two weeks. I didn't take any enzymes, didn't take any probiotics, didn't take any hydrochloric acid. And I would say it took me about five, six days for my body to readjust and start producing. So the first five, six days. It was like, I, I felt, I didn't feel like my food was digesting very well. And I do believe because my body wasn't producing the enzymes to do that, but then it started to realize, uh Oh, I got to start doing something and started to manufacture. And, and, and I was, I was fine. Although I do prefer to have my enzymes and probiotics. It feels better. It feels better. I, yeah. I feel the difference. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us, Wade. It was really fun to dive into the intricacies of the enzymes in the body. Thank you so much. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. 
You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 